0: Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Navluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies. Welcome back to the Restoring Darkness podcast. On today's show, I have Anna Toreros-Martin. Anna is a children's book author and illustrator who is passionate about animals and wildlife. She received a first-class degree in illustration from Sheffield Hallam University. And a master's in children's book illustration from Cambridge School of Art. Anna's, la- Anna's latest picture book, "Can You See the Stars Tonight?", published by David Fickling Books, is a story about the impact light pollution can have on puffins, little birds, and what we can, maybe they're big birds I don't know, and what we can do in our own homes to help our local wildlife when it comes to light pollution. Anna is on Instagram at uk on Twitter at anna__terreros, and her website is uk and of course, if you go to the Restoring Darkness podcast website and you click the link, all those links will be there if you want to find them. But before we get to my conversation with Anna, I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Lighting and Darkness Foundation. Um, we launched... And we are looking for an executive director. That's right. We're also looking for people to volunteer and help out. And you know, over my life, I've volunteered in many different campaigns, political campaigns, and worked on different things in that time. And there's many different ways that people can contribute. They can volunteer their time. They can work full-time in these types of industries and for, in the not-for-profit world. They can knock on doors. They can send letters. But they also can give money. And you know a lot of people, they don't have the time to volunteer. They're very busy at this point in their life, but maybe they've been blessed. And if, that, if you're one of those people and you want to share some of your wealth and give it to a good cause, why not give it to the Lighting in Darkness Foundation? You can do that by going to the RestoringDarkness.com website. You click the donate link. And why not become a monthly donor? That would be fantastic. We haven't got one yet, but we're looking. So why not become a monthly donor? Help us out, any amount. And also you can one-time donate. And we also do Darkness Campaigns, so you'll see another link on the Restoring Darkness podcast website called Darkness Campaigns, and you can give money directly to the good folks in Wasatchback County who are in an ordinance battle to keep Wasatchback, a uh, night preserved environment. Good folks down there are working really hard, and they're in a battle, so you can help them out as well by going to RestoringDarkness.com. Anna, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: You know, we often, you know, people talk about, well, let's get to the children with this issue and, um, you know, start teaching the next generation about this. And then they'll come into this and it'll be easier for them to make these kinds of choices. Um, How has your work with children gone so far and and what have you been able to accomplish?
1: Um, It's gone well so far. Um, The book's only just been out a couple of weeks it came out at the start of this month but I've done some events with children with it and their response to it has been amazing and as well with their parents as well because it's kind of it's nice that you get to talk to their children but also the adults as well and it's educating them both on the issues of like light pollution and also why it's important to protect Puffins and other wildlife, and I find that children are always so enthusiastic, um, and they all have such a big love for animals and wildlife as well that they want to do what they can to help, especially their local wildlife, and making it kind of accessible to them to do their own thing as well. Um, mm. And help as well, I think, with that climate and eco anxiety that I think everyone gets a little bit that everything feels so overwhelming and all the news on the tv is quite negative and a lot of doom and gloom and children watch that and I know they feel that it's a lot to deal with because obviously adults feel that same way too Mm. and we're leaving our planet for the children so it's I think it's kind of nice for everyone when they feel that they can do something to help in their own home or in their local community as well so I found that that's yeah that's really nice to talk to them about things like that.
0: You know I do a lot of podcasts and um, in a lot of different areas so not just in the lighting industry or the darkness space but um, I was speaking to a therapist recently and the idea of taking action is very anxiety reducing so when people are, are told that you can help out and you can do things, it takes away some of that anxiety and makes them feel better. Um, it also turns them into advocates for good things. So how do you simplify the message, though, for kids? What kind of words do you use and what kind of terminology do you use?
1: Um, so I try to use quite kind of simple sentences, but also having words that are, maybe they haven't heard of before. So for example, conservation or light pollution, because mm-hmm. um, the age range of the children's picture books are starting to read, some can't read yet, so they're being read to by their their parents or, or teachers um, and others are starting to read. But I think as well, I found that it's, good not to be scared about putting larger words Mm. into books um that are key words um because then they can expand their vocabulary as well and learn (laughs) what does this mean and then want to say say for example like conservation it's like what does conservation mean and then they look into like wildlife conservation or habitats and then they kind of can expand their knowledge on things like that if they're interested as well Um, and I found that's been the case with um, light pollution with this book that not many um, children know about it but as well the adults not many people really know that how big of an issue it is either and I found that really interesting.
0: I've learned a lot from children's books I'll tell you. Myself, I have, I have four children, and I've read to them a lot. And some of them are—it can be very impactful. The idea of a simple story um, that per, that pervades a, has a theme and a moral to it—is is powerful. Um, what does what do? you How do you explain conservation in the children's book? What do you tell them?
1: Um, I tell them. Well, I haven't explained it like specifically, but it's more in this book showing it through the actions of the main character, Nora, a little girl who she wants to help her local colony of puffins on Puffin Island, because pufflings are getting lost Mm. um, due to getting confused with the light pollution. She doesn't know that yet. So it's through her actions of realizing what is causing the pufflings, which are baby puffins, um, to get lost oh, and little pufflings. fly in <laughs> yeah pufflings it's <laughs> such a cute name Yeah. <laughs> so they fly into the town getting confused by the artificial lights instead of flying out to sea mm. because naturally they use the light of the moon and the stars to guide them out to the sea when they fled from their burrows um, but the lights from local towns as seen in Iceland. Um, The pufflings, some of them get confused, and they fly towards the artificial lights into the town and get into all sorts of trouble. Um, And like in this book, a little puffling flies in through Nora's window, and then she helps with her dad's, helps them to take the puffling back to the island, figure out what's causing the pufflings to get confused, which is light pollution and then shows her class um about the issue and how they can all help if they work together and i think it's in, it's showing through the actions what conservation is mm. and how everyone can work together to do their own bit even if it's something small like closing your curtains or switching off your lights and, mm. and things like that
0: you know, I think I know why you chose puffins because of the little pufflings. It's such a cute name, and kids are going to go crazy over that. Like even my daughter, who's my youngest, who's fourteen, would love to hear about the little pufflings. So I think I have to get your book for sure. <laughs> um, but tell me, you know, when the, when the kids are at, what kind of questions do they, have you done a reading yourself, like with your book? Have you read to kids when you're done the book? Um, what do, what kind of questions do they ask you?
1: Um, so the first one, they think that puffins are penguins mm. uh, because they look really similar, I think black and white and colourful beaks. But um yeah, some of them know what puffins are, and if not I explain and they're just the little birds. they um yeah they're lovely. But they they ask I mean you get some quite funny questions but also serious ones um about like ways in which they can They can help at home or they tell you about stories of when they've gone to see puffins themselves with their family on holidays um, and things like that. Or Also asking about like what other animals are affected about uh, through light pollution and things like that. So yeah, you get a wide range of of, uh, questions with
0: with children.
1: It's always quite fun.
0: The answer to that question is all living things on Earth are affected by light pollution.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Unfortunately, you know, we're all, and, and humans as well. Um, mm-hmm. When you, you know, as I just traveled to the Smithsonian, and, and they've put out a, a new exhibit called, um, uh-oh, just I just slipped out of my mind. I had it two seconds ago. Uh, Recovering Our Night, is it, Scott? Ah! It's Recovering Our Night Sky. I can't remember. Sorry, sorry, all the people down at the Smithsonian. It's just out of my head right now what it's called. But anyway, it's a beautiful exhibit, and it goes through all the different factors that are in, involved in light pollution. And you know, we your book is called Can You See the Stars Tonight? And when I was talking to the exhibit designers, um, one of the things that they mentioned to me was that the Milky Way has become something that people look at in pictures that most people have never seen it. Or they don't even know where it is. They can't even identify it. It's so sad. Um, do many it of the is. kids, the many of the kids that you speak to, you're in Britain, obviously. Are, are, I'm assuming you're in Britain, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's pod, right. <laughs> the podcast yeah. is at ten Eastern. All my British podcasts are always at ten o'clock <laughs> Eastern time. So, the um, <laughs> you know, do any of the kids have any stories for you about seeing the stars, or is there a kind of is that conspicuously absent from your talks with the
1: kids? That is absent, and I read that, I mean, in the UK, it's all, there's a lot of light, I think, even, I think you have to be really rural um, to be in quite darkness or in one of the, like, the national parks, Mm -hmm. Um, but I read that I think it was... um, I think it's like more than 80% of the world's population is estimated to live under a lit sky and that in Europe and North America, the figures closer to 99%, mm. um, which I think that puts it into perspective. And if you think how many of those people are children, mm-hmm. that I don't think that the experience to see the night sky and the stars is something that's very common anymore. and unless you specifically go out to somewhere that is kind of completely dark and for most people i think that live in cities and towns that's quite difficult to do a lot of the time um to go out and do that this summer i got the chance to go to uh, Bardsey island and it's um from this year, it's become the first dark sky sanctuary in Europe, which Mm -hmm. is, um, it was amazing to go to that. Um, and for that to be a place in the UK, it's in Wales. Mm -hmm. Um, and talking to the people that work there and the volunteers, they're so passionate as well about making the night sky more accessible to everyone. Um, all over the UK and all over the world as well especially children because I think that just simply seeing the night sky just looking at the stars even if you're not into astronomy or anything like that Mm. it's something so special that it really impacts you Mm -hmm. Um, and it's that connection I think with nature and also in a way I guess with everyone's ancestors as well because back at the very beginning with early humans, they imagine like the night sky they must have been able to see and use it to navigate the stories that the night sky provided for them. I think it's just something that we've lost touch with now um, as society, kind of worldwide, I think, which is quite sad.
0: Yeah, there's a reason why we sent burned lamb smoke up to the sky. It's not because of the clouds, it was because of the stars. Right? When we were making our sacrifices in our in our early years of uh, human development, we would that's where our every we'd lie and look up and we and we would imagine and dream and come up with characters and stories and all these different myths and lores. They all um, reside in the sky, from the Roman gods to the Aztecs to the, the Egyptian Great Pyramid of Giza being aligned to the center star in Orion's belt. It's in our heritage. And I wonder sometimes, Anna, if like the little pufflings, we have lost our way because we can't see what we're supposed to see at night.
1: That's very true.
0: You know, and, and I, I... Yeah, often, I agree. Yeah, I often see a lot of the chaotic discourse and the way people are behaving. And I, I wonder to... You know, we've had a lot of... um. People come on and share stories about you know their experience with um, you know beautiful night skies, and it, if you listen to them, it sounds very similar to people that have psychedelic drug experiences. Actually, <laughs> you know, um, and I wonder to myself if if we can if if there's a way back to that. Um, do you you've agreed with that? Um, you know, in the children's book world. You know, I'm I'm lucky to live in Canada. So when Canada Canada's north of, if you go 100 miles north anywhere in Canada, you know, if you just drive or get there by train or whatever, you, you usually have access to this. So Canadians would probably have a little more. And there's many Canadians in this movement. Um, do you think we can accomplish this, Anna? Do you think we can bring, if we can reduce light pollution to a point where we can actually see the stars again? I'd hope
1: so. I think especially because, I mean, we've got over here, the cost of living crisis and things like that, where energy is so expensive, but at night, it's so wasteful to have all the lights on, especially like in supermarkets or in shops that just have lights on for security Mm. and things like that, when really it's not necessary to an extent And it can be toned down a lot. A lot of the lights that we have on at night, there isn't a real need for them. Um, And I think more and more people want to escape kind of the busy city life. Um, Everyone lives are so fast now and you're constantly connected, I think, to your phone or to your laptop. And things like that so i think more and more people want to have a proper break from it all and and go out into the countryside and into nature um especially if you've got children and share those experiences with them so i hope i'd hope that one day that can be accomplished again and i think the more people that are able to experience another kind of beauty of the night sky um, and I was talking to the um, volunteers on Bardsey Island about it and they were saying that imagine if you could get out of all the politicians in the world to see the beauty of the night sky and mm. how wonderful it is and then maybe decisions could be made quicker <laughs> because they'd also want to kind of bring the action to make our guys darker again and I think that's probably the way forward of getting as many more people to be able to see the the stars and and see why it's so important to look after that and also as well it's for our health our sleep animals everyone would benefit from it um so yeah hopefully one day (laughs) it would be a dream.
0: Well, it's interesting because the it's not a technological or research problem. We have all the technology we need to do this um and mm-hmm. there's you know there's a battle you know so i I've often described light pollution in terms of when we first had light at night with fires and candles and stuff like that um it was wonderful, and then the light bulb came along, and that was wonderful too and then we've had all these innovations and um Kind of snuck up on us in a way, this light pollution thing, and you know it's <laughs> gone from being beautiful to being ostentatious, to being conspicuous, and now with the little pufflings dying, that's grotesque. You know it's it really is when you think about like all the birds, and it's it's really disgusting actually. This this light pollution thing, and um, you know one of the things that this is a great place that a great contribution to the movement is to appeal to the children. Um, When, you know, uh, educational wise, is there, you're obviously not in the education space, but is this book gonna land in British curriculums and schools or is there any way to get it into the schools?
1: Um, I've heard a lot of teachers have contacted me and said that they've bought it for their classroom, which (laughs) is, is just amazing. Um, and I'd really hope that kind of the topic of light pollution is brought into schools. They've got in um, UK schools, at least, I know they talk about kind of the seaside and, and beaches and that links into you know, the litter in our oceans and things like that. But I think the topic of light pollution is also just as important um because it does it affects our it affects the whole world and the fact that the solution to it is really simple like the fact that we can make a change by just the flick of a switch um that's quite empowering for children but also i guess it's quite frustrating that that is the issue that so many people can't just do the simple thing i think that's just when spreading awareness about it and at the back of my book i've got um a spread that shows what we can do in our own homes to reduce the light we create and how like for example you can do simple things like switching off your light or um, sh- um closing your curtains or using a light shield in your garden, so the light's directed downwards or using warmer colour lights instead of blue ones Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of animals um, are really sensitive to blue lights and, for example, when visiting um, the islands where there's a lot of seabirds at night, they recommend you to use torches with red lights Mm. as that doesn't um, confuse them as much so i think once people know this sort of information and how these simple changes can help then i think more and more people will be able to do it because i it's like i guess litter picking everyone knows that you can go out and do it and more and more people do things like that or recycling and things that they can do at home like you say make kind of putting things into action then also reduces your own anxiety about the world and like climate change and all that and everyone I think deep down does want to make the world a better place for themselves and their children so I think once people know about these things because to be fair um, since a couple of years ago I didn't know about the effects of light pollution either and I was like, wow, there's so much that I could have done as well growing up. that I just didn't know, but mm. I can do it now. And also you tell your family and your friends and then slowly it just easily spreads and teachers tell their classes and suddenly schools can make a difference. And then the community it just slowly expands. And I think, yeah, I'd love for my book to be able to help to do that. Hmm.
0: Well, you mentioned the different issues that are so commonly associated with environmentalism. Plastics in the ocean, carbon dioxide, climate change, all these different things. Those movements need to elevate and acknowledge the darkness restoration and night preservation movement. Um, Why? Well, because it's, first of all, you know, when you're a kid and you're in a class and someone comes along, we're going to talk about climate change today. And it's like, we're all going to burn in hell. Like, that's kind of the message. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Yeah. And then they leave. And it's like, well, what, well we we hope these windmills work out because otherwise we're screwed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's 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 like, that's kind of the message. I mean, I hate to say it, but you know what? If we, if we, okay, so step back. You don't know how to build this many nuclear reactors or solar panels or whatever. You got those issues. But you know what? Night preservation and... Darkness restoration are a wonderful way to use less energy, okay? We can reduce our exterior lighting energy by 60, 70, 80, 90%, okay? And that will reduce our consumption of electricity. We burn less coal. We burn less gas. We use less energy. And so this is a solvable environmental problem. Yes, I'm saying there's a chance. There's hope. You know, we can solve this issue. Let's turn away. And you know what? By the way, they're collecting the plastics in the ocean. You know, I saw it was a Canadian company. They built this wonderful ship and they have this big thing and they're going along and they're collecting the plastics in the ocean. And uh, you wouldn't believe the stuff they pull out and they're not getting the fish. They're just getting the plastics. And so, you know, I, I, I do believe it's it, the negativity is a little bit too much for kids. You know, I don't think it's healthy. Mm-hmm. I really don't. To have that much negativity without a solved problem without the puffling flying home you know the puffling has to get mm-hmm. home otherwise the kids are going to feel terrible
1: exactly i completely agree i think that's the problem with i guess a lot of the more environmental books for children that it is it is very <laughs> like doom and gloom it's so right. you just everything just feels like a catastrophe Mm -hmm. and it's just very overwhelming and you just at that point you're just like well what's the point you might as well give up but I think the beauty with like you say restoring darkness and preserving these areas and natural places to help wildlife and that has a positive outcome it is hope and I think now more than ever people need to actually hear hopeful stories and that things do actually have a solution and that actually if everyone just kind of put the time and energy into doing that then it's actually not that difficult to to solve technically because there is a solution for it it's just getting getting people to do it. I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I got good news. For, I got the good news for you in one respect, um, and uh, we don't need everyone. You know, and primarily, <laughs> primarily we need the lighting industry. Okay, so lighting industry. If you're listening to this, you we need you because the people that are going to solve this problem. <laughs> It's going to be the lighting industry, and so we're going to change that. We're going to become the lighting and darkness industry because darkness is an asset we need to charge people to provide to them, okay? So I'm just saying, like, this idea, you know, the words, you were talking about the words we use, right? And so, and, um, you know, this idea, when I say to people, night preservation, they understand what I'm saying, right? They understand it. Darkness restoration. Oh, okay. I see. You want to, you want to start dimming the lights. Yes. You want to start getting rid of unnecessary (laughs) light. Yes. Right. The words that we use are so important. Um, and so, you know, do you have, uh, this has been such a wonderful time with you actually, Anna, can you, do you have anything you want to say to the audience before we, we, uh, shut the show?
1: Um, I think I'd like to just say that um, there is, as we've spoken about, hope with kind of looking after our environments and the night skies, and that if you're able to, um, wherever you are, see if you can see the stars in the sky tonight, and if not, maybe find a way to make that more possible where you live, and talk talk to other people about it in your communities. And I think by doing so, and talking to everyone in the community as a whole, that you will one day, I think, be able to see the stars again, where you live or nearby. Um, And I think if everyone works together and shows how much they want to see the stars again, that people start to listen. And, yeah, and I think that's how change happens.
0: Amen to that. And I'm going to give everyone out there a pro tip, pro tip for you guys. If you want to do this, you want to go out and see the stars, maybe you're staying up a little late. Maybe you've had a couple drinks, I don't know, and you want to see the stars. Make sure you turn off all the lights in your house because the thing that causes you the the most problems when looking at the stars is the very local light pollution, the light coming out of your house. So before you go outside, turn all the outdoor lights and all the indoor lights off so that and your eyes can adjust to the nighttime environment. Pro tip. And if you also, um, hey, grab a pair of binoculars. It's not complicated. You don't need a big, um, whatever you call those things that astronomers use. Um, telescopes. Telescopes. Necess- yeah. Not necessary. <laughs> Just a pair of binoculars. Not even if you don't have binoculars, it doesn't matter, but a pair of binoculars will really zoom you in on stars. Lie on your back, look up, have a blanket, look up at the stars, put a pair of binoculars on, find Jupiter. It'd be fun. Well, we thank Anna... Herreros Martin for joining us today on the Restoring Darkness podcast. It was such a pleasure to have her. And before you go, um, why not contribute to the Lighting and Darkness Foundation? Why not put if you if you want if you're passionate about this, why not become the executive director? I mean, we're looking for someone, so send in your resume, go to restoringdarkness.com, click the donate link, contact us. If you're in an ordinance battle somewhere, contact us. We're here to help you. So, go to restoringdarkness.com. And to all my listeners and viewers out there, God bless you. I love you guys. Bye for now. Look no further for dark sky-friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more international Dark Sky Association certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the Max with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma!
1: illuminating the pursuit of darkness.